If we think of sex, how it's culturally conditioned, it's very male-focused, it's genital-focused, it is orgasm-focused. We're moving towards an end goal and we're looking for an orgasm to finish. All of these expectations that we hold on ourselves and that isn't necessarily how our body operates or what our body needs from time to time. And we're just creating this linear model. And if we don't fit that, then we're labeling ourselves as something broken, something wrong. If we teach people that they are their own source of pleasure and their own source of turn on and give them the responsibility for their orgasms, then that really empowers us. We can ask for what we want. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. Buckle up, because today's episode is a doozy. I sit down with my dear friend, Dr. Kat Meyer. Now, Kat is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in sex, trauma, and ketamine-assisted therapy three things that are very buzzy these days. And she's actually going to talk about how to do these things responsibly, how to find practitioners who are in integrity and who have training and that are a good fit for you. She's an international speaker dedicated to evolving the relationship we have surrounding sexuality and our bodies. Now, in this conversation, we explore how to reframe our traumas in a way that reveals to us our superpowers. Kat invites us all to give up the fear of being too much so that we can instead live an authentically expressed life. We also talk about how the trauma that most of us have in our bodies can keep us from the ability to regulate our nervous systems. I am so excited to hear what you learn and what you take away from this fascinating conversation. And I highly recommend joining me at zivameditation.com slash why this, because Dr. Kat Meyer offers us a free masterclass called How to Turn Yourself On. So join me and Dr. Kat over at zivameditation.com slash why this. So what is not in her bio is that she also facilitates EMDR, which I'm really excited to talk about as it relates to trauma. She also is a combo facilitator, which is a very specific psychedelic, and she's a master Reiki practitioner. So just in case you were feeling like you wanted to watch another Netflix episode tonight, maybe you could use a little energy to get another certification in something that you love, inspired by my amazing friend, the resplendent, the fun, the amazing Dr. Kat Meyer. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi, it's my pleasure to be here. I love you. <laughs> so today, yeah. we could really talk about why isn't everyone facing their fears? Why isn't everyone doing combo? Why isn't everyone doing Reiki? Why isn't everyone doing yoga? But what I really want to focus on, what I want to hear from you is why isn't everyone having psychedelic sex? Why isn't everyone having sex on psychedelics? Like, and, and what inspired you to even want to study this stuff way before it was cool, way before how to change your mind, way before the psychedelic revolution that we're in? Like you were doing this years and years ago. So let's start there. What inspired you to get into working with two of the most taboo topics that that is available to a human on the planet right now. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Um we're going to have to back up like several years here. <laughs> okay. So my life story, I come from some childhood sexual trauma, moving into childhood depression, eating disorders, anxiety. Um, I discovered yoga when I was 18, started teaching it at 1920, and that was my first experience of feeling safe and calm in my body, mm. and that really inspired my trajectory of um, curiosity of healing. What else is there? 
you know, I'm from the Midwest and the most that we know is um, I had Catholicism and I had uh, you know, Midwest values, which is great and beautiful, but and it's what also- what are Midwest values? It, it's, there's generosity, there's family, there's, um, you know, helping each other out, but there's not so much of an emphasis on healing. There's a lot of put up with, the discomfort, um, normalizing, tolerating, numbing, um, yeah, numbing, brushing things under the rug. Don't feel things. You don't need that. So a lot of dismissing, minimizing. Now I'm generalizing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is a gross generalization. This is more of the culture that I grew up with. So there's a lot of. Um, I really want to emphasize. There's a lot of beauty to the Midwest values as well. Um, but where I'm coming from is the culture that that taught me not to feel. Yeah. You know, not to express uh, that this is how I was going to feel and and that's it. Yeah, and I would say that's not just Midwestern. I'm Southern, you could say that, you know, yeah, stiff yeah, upper yeah, lip, yeah. English, like in almost every civilization we've normalized not feeling. Yeah. Because it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And what do we do with that? You know, we just feel bad. We take drugs. We, um, or drugs we take uh, pharmaceuticals or we... Numb out with TV, alcohol, porn, Mm -hmm. news. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of conversation around mental health when I was growing up. Definitely not when I was growing up. Um, It wasn't until college that I um, started taking psychology courses. And then I was reading a Red Book magazine, and they had quoted a sex therapist. And I was like, oh! oh my God, you can be that? Now, mind you, I had never had sex before. (laughs) I was 21, never had sex before. I was terrified of relationships. I would get into them and then I would end them after two weeks because just a lot of panic. And that, in that moment, I was making that declaration that I didn't want to be this way anymore. So I... Went to grad school. When you read about the sex therapist or when you yeah. end your relationships? When, no, when I read this like, Red Book wait, magazine. Wait, you can be a sex therapist. Yeah. And yeah. that was your declaration of what? Of wanting to be, wanting to heal the relationship that I had around my sexuality and around relationships. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. old are you when you had the sexual trauma? Uh, well, I've, I've had multiple. So when I was about four or five, mm-hmm. and then again in my early 20s, a couple of times in my early 20s. Mm, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, it's... As I look at these today and after I've done so much work around this, it's really helped to inform my work and how I can hold that space for other people. I think that trauma, as much as it can um, cause a lot of programming of fear in our nervous system and cause us to uh, develop in these solutions of how to create safety for ourselves that may or may not be adaptive, um, it can also really be a catalyst for expanding our mind and questioning how life, how we operate in life. So it can be a big wake up call for so many. And I hear this a lot from other people as well as develop, uh, you know, superpowers and gifts from these experiences. That's how I'm starting to see mine. Like, cause after spending a whole lifetime of like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Now when I discover new traumas, it feels like I'm in a video game. Like I only played like Super Mario Brothers for a little bit, but like when you find like the little mushroom and then you Uh jump on top of it and you get bigger and you have superpowers. Now when I discover my traumas, I'm like, oh good, I get to transmute this. I get to feel this. And then it's going to give me superpowers. Yeah. And that's been such a beautiful shift. Okay. So Red Book Magazine, I've changed my relationships Uh with with sex and my body. And Uh then, and then what happens? Yeah. So yoga. So I was doing yoga and then I went to grad school for marriage and family therapy, started studying sex through ASECT. Um, Mar- 
American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, dove into Tantra, um, worked with several teachers in Tantra over the years. Through your training or separately? No, separately. These are all, I was very much like, this is my dharma. I'm going to go full in and, and really test the edges of all of these things. So I dove into um, Tantra and then I dove into uh, BDSM. So I discovered BDSM. And can you define Tantra <clears throat> for us? Absolutely. So Tantra is the is a yogic tradition based in Nepal, Tibet, more of the Indian cultures, um, as a way to find enlightenment through the human experience. Through like all aspects of the human experience. All aspects even of the, the quote human unquote, darkness or the taboo ones. Right, right. It's all about finding this union with 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 the parts of you, whether it's dark and light or our inner um, yin and yang, masculine, feminine, you know, however you want to define these, these parts of us, these, um, two seemingly, yeah, polarities and uh, both inside ourselves and then also in the world as these exist in the world. So it's learning about, yeah, it's creating relationship with all of these parts Mm -hmm. and it's not demonizing any of these parts of our human experience, even the parts that we say are bad, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness or um, even the concept of desire, you know, there's many cultures who look at desire and demonize it as you need to, you need to let go of desire because desire is the root of all suffering. Yeah. Uh, Transcend your desires and you'll transcend suffering. Right. It's a very monastic way of looking at life. And if you ain't a monk, that philosophy is real hard to implement. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's about really embracing all of this. And, and when you allow yourself to, it's, it's learning how to not get rid of desire, but how to have a relationship with it. Mm. So how to desire in a way that is expansive versus contractive. Mm. Okay, so you're studying Tantra, you're uh-huh. studying BDSM, and can yeah. you define BDSM yeah, for us? Absolutely. Great. I'm just going to provide a whole a whole vocabulary <laughs> yeah, just, list here. Yeah, yeah. Scroll. <laughs> just, it, just one hour of vocab terms with yes. Dr. Kat Meyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so B, I feel like I'm going to go through the alphabet and just say, so B stands for <laughs> great. Um, bondage, discipline, um, dominance, sadomasochism. And so that's more of like the um, like the... Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, this is more in regards to things that are edgy, mm-hmm. that are not the traditional sense of sexuality. These live on the fringe. These are what culture looks at as, um, well, for the longest time, this has been something that's been stigmatized. You know, culture looked at it as, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, then you're weird. And when or I'm saying, sick or there's something wrong something's with you. Something's wrong with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. But we can really look at this and expand it, first of all, of what it actually includes. And it can be anything from spanking to biting somebody or nibbling on somebody or using toys and tools. Um, using bondage or rope tying or handcuffs, you know, just as the full spectrum of using a flogger, which is a leather um, tool for impact and um, uh, even role playing or power dynamic play between somebody who is playing big and somebody who is playing small. Mm. So it's, it's a full spectrum, but also it's a, it's a tool for, or it's a way of experiencing sex that can be 
psychedelic first first of all it can be very psychedelic but it can so also even without be taking anything even without taking, taking psychedelics anything, yeah. going into these realms these fringe areas of bdsm can put you into altered psychedelic states yes yeah i really believe that sex in and of itself is psychedelic that yeah. we don't necessarily need to have some my altering substance to experience transcendence to experience um uh altered states of consciousness to experience uh, euphoria. healing, euphoria, energy, the disillusion of our boundaries between us and the world and our partner, merging with ourselves, merging with whether you want to call it divine or just the world or or uh, blast into oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of this can be reached. And I think, you know, whether it's through Tantra and the energetic practices and moving and chanting and breathing, or it's in BDSM where you're uh, practicing taking on different perspectives, or you are embodying a shadow part of you that perhaps you have a challenging relationship or shame around, mm. and you can really transmute and transform yourself by taking on this role mm. in a safe container. Okay. This is so exciting, so riveting. So I'm imagining like Kat getting your doctorate of psychology, recognizing that this work is your dharma, starting to study Tantra and BDSM, and, and then what happens? Well, then I, you know, I was diving into energetics. This was when I was learning Reiki and and really seeing how all of these were working together, how they mm -hmm. weave together, that healing happens, not just on the mental level. You know, I could be seeing clients, but there's also the physical manifestations of the emotions that they're not expressing or yeah. the traumas, how it's showing up somatically. And the yoga can help with, with regulating the nervous system and training the nervous system. But then what, ab what about this over here? You know, the, the emotions or the energetics, is there energetic blockages that are happening? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I you know, eventually <laughs> um, got my doctorate, uh, published some research on BDSM and, and marriages. And amazing. That yeah. was, your yeah. like that was your thesis or whatever or what is it called your dissertation yeah, thank dissertation. you uh -huh. was on bdsm mm -hmm. yep. amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It was> i <great. laughs> love that about you <laughs> yeah okay and so when in in your journey have you ever had that thought of like wait this is so good like why isn't everyone doing this why isn't everyone doing having good sex <laughs> I mean, just like have you, I mean, I imagine you have it all the time. You have so many yeah. trainings. I imagine yeah, yeah, it's happened yeah. to you a lot, but I'm really interested in like, yeah, like why isn't everyone working with psychedelics? Why isn't everyone having spiritual sex? Why isn't everyone <sighs> having like working with sex and psychedelic space together? Like w tell me about that discovery. Yeah. Well, even the conversation around sex and psychedelics, it's very, you know, very sensationalist, right? It's, it's, it's exciting. We, um, see these images of sex on TV. We see all these and we hear stories about psychedelics or what used to happen to people on psychedelics. And I think there is such a, there's such a blur in our culture with these messages around what these actually are or what these can be. So sex, you know, we see media, we see TV shows, or at least back then, we especially saw these. And um, there was a lot of uh, scandalous, you know, a lot of like, oh my God, you can't, you can't see that or you can't um, talk about this or sex is supposed to be for sexy people, people who look like this or people who, um, you know, act in this way and and um but but then at the same time you can't be too sexy because you might not be taken seriously professionally or you might um 
make other women jealous or you might be trying to get attention. You know, we're just, we're inundated with so many messages, so many programming that I think a lot of people became, have be, had become frozen in themselves uh, or felt the programming of, you know, once you're married, sex dies or... Like, um, don't have sex until you get married. But, but then, then once you're married, then sex is over. Right. So basically just never have sex. Never have sex. <laughs> or sex is for certain people. It's not for uh, your slut if you really enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of push and pull here. You're supposed yeah. to... Or it's a sin or self-pleasuring is a sin. Like, there's so much conditioning that we're swimming in. Yeah, yeah. Or the this disconnection with the bodies. You know, as we were talking about earlier, how many anti-intimacy activities are we doing in a single day? What's an anti-intimacy activity? Anything that either disconnects you from you and your partner or people or your body. Anti-intimacy. Whoa, I've never heard that term before, and it feels like our, everything is anti-intimacy. Like we, you know, we literally have to like make a sharing circle. We have to, hey, no phones at this party. Like We have to be so deliberate about things that move us towards greater intimacy that I feel like our whole world is anti-intimacy. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of things that can distract us from whether it's being in the present moment, being present with ourselves, being present with another person. And we're fighting all of these distractions all the time. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, I have people who come in and who are like, I have zero desire for sex. Well, yeah, let's first take a look at all the things that are fighting for your attention. And then what also may be a resistance to you wanting to feel or be in your bodies. And that may be, and I always approach this from a very compassionate lens of solution. Like what have we been using as a solution to prevent us from feeling the pain? You know, the pain of so many things that exist in our in our reality. Pain of rejection or pain of um, the loss of a connection or the pain of stress or um, fear. You know, all of that lives in our body and is expressed in our body. And so as a way to prevent overwhelm or to prevent um, feeling that, we've created some very clever solutions externally to us and then internally. I also see people who outsource their sexuality and and turn towards whether it's porn or um you know somebody else to get turned on you know mm-hmm. they're looking outside well how do i use something outside of me to turn myself on well and- that's interesting cuz i feel like it's very recent for me that i've even understood that i'm in charge of my own turn yeah. on and that that's actually like it's it's me and me yeah and and i think that i actually thought that it was that was what i was supposed to do mm-hmm. but not even that that was a vice of some sort to outsource my pleasure to someone else but that was that was like me being a good girl that was yeah. like me being a good lover a good partner of like oh i will give all of that to this person and yeah. then make it their responsibility so can yeah. you speak more to that of like claiming that for yourself or taking ownership of that yeah yeah absolutely i think in our culture we've made so if we think of sex how it's culturally conditioned it's very uh male focused both in the medical world and in in our cultural talk and in pornography and in pornography um it's uh genital focused it is orgasm focused so it's very goal directed we're moving towards an end goal and we're, we're looking for an orgasm to finish um it is fast friction it's uh, you know uh, requires a, a an erect penis, you know, mm-hmm. all of these these expectations that we hold on ourselves and that isn't necessarily how our body operates 
or what our body needs from time to time. So our body is very dynamic in what it needs. And we're not, we're just creating this linear model. And if we don't fit that, then we're labeling ourselves as something broken, something wrong, um, you know, shame com- comes up or we're not a good lover. And being a good lover is, is, is a big one too. So if we, you know, we're outsourcing to, for somebody else to get us to orgasm, or if he isn't having an, an erection, then there's something wrong with me. I'm not hot. I'm not attractive. Um, or if I, you know, if I have a cock and it's not coming up, it's, it's, you know, I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. So we're constantly, it's almost like we've enmeshed ourselves in these, who's responsible for our pleasure and our turn on rather than realizing. And that just perpetuates the, the issue because really it's about individualating each it, it, person. It perpetuates what issue? The anti-intimacy? The, yeah, the, the block in sexuality or desire for sex or um, our functioning, our pleasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of those. Because they're all just, it almost like it's, they all get interwoven in together and not in a way that helps us to be able to see what is actually going on. Mm. It's easier, it's easier for me to either self-blame or other blame versus to see what might be the thing breaking down, which like may the root be, cause. Like yeah. there's something here that wants to be addressed. There's something here that's talking to me, something that needs some love and attention. Right. And instead of like examining that with curiosity, well, there's something broken, there's something wrong with me, or I'll put that on someone Somebody else. Somebody else, yeah. 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 So I'm curious, like when you're seeing your clients, do you work mostly with individuals or couples? All of it. I, so I see um, individuals, I see couples, I see polycules, which is, you know, somebody who's in a um, non-monogamous relationship. Um, yeah. But like, so like, a, like, let's say a throuple, which is three people yeah. in one relationship, yep, yep. or they're in some, but they're in some sort of a relational, <laughs> relational dynamic enough yeah. where they would want to seek out a therapist. Yes. Together. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Sweet friend, if you are loving this conversation and would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, I want to invite you to join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now there you're going to find free bonus content that we simply could not fit inside of the episodes. I'm talking mini masterclasses with our amazing guests like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin, Blue, Vailana, and myself. So come experience the tools that we reveal in the podcast for yourself. Simply head to zivameditation.com slash why this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what are you noticing? Like, what are you hearing? Are there any themes or trends in the zeitgeist right now? Or is there something that feels universal that everyone is struggling with that feels like, oh, you know, is, is there any, any themes that you're noticing where it's like, oh, everyone just wants to be seen or everyone is just looking for blank? Or I'm just curious if, yeah. you, if you see that as everyone just wildly individual. Everyone's really individual, but I would say that there is a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame around somebody allowing themselves to feel or desire in their bodies. And again, it's these cultural messages and what we've been programmed to understand what sex is. Also, people don't necessarily know how their bodies operate. So they don't know what's going to be optimal or what their body needs. Um, Partially, I think, because we're so disconnected from our bodies. We're disconnected from the voice and the subtle contractions and expansions, or even to know what desire feels like in the body. Well, I think if you spend your whole life numbing, yeah. right? And you're so your whole life avoiding intimacy and avoiding 
feeling anything, then how on earth are you expected to like pick up on the subtle cues of your sensuality, of your eroticism? You don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't. <laughs> like, People ding, come ding, into ding. my office and I do a lot of work with them somatically and I teach them about how what to tune into. What does that mean? Into. What's somatic work? Somatic means through the body. So with the body. So we're incorporating um, how the body communicates both internally inside of us um, as well as externally to our environment. So how does the body communicate to me internally uh-huh. and how is my body communicating externally? What does that yes. mean? Like body language, what someone else would pick up on? It can be. So our nervous system is constantly speaking to the environment. It's picking up cues. We call that neuroception. And so it's picking up these cues and it's labeling it as something that's dangerous and threatening or something that's safe. Mm-hmm. And so that when we can tune into like uh, the sensations of our body, it can give us an indication of what we may be perceiving or what our nervous system is perceiving in the environment. Um, and that can be both based on our programming from from our youth or something that actually is happening in the present moment. Mm, mm-hmm. So these sensations can be flutters, they can be um, nausea, it can be tension, it can be um, expansion, it can be um, gurgliness, it can be, you know, it can be all of these, all of these, um, yeah, communications. Like cues, yeah. physical cues. So when yeah, you say, yeah, yeah. so you work with people, you're working somatically. Yeah. So you're inviting them to like listen to the cues from their bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and then... Um, where were you going with that? Like what, what happens when you're working with people somatically? Um, so it's helping them to, again, become an individual in their own selves. Mm-hmm. And then when they can connect with the sensations in their body um, and they focus on it, they focus on it and either something, an image will pop up or a, the body will go into a process like tears or shaking or um, burping <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or like a thought will come up. Usually there is, it's almost like these sensations are a trailhead to go down and go down a path to discover what this means for us. Mm-hmm. And when we can connect with that part and allow the body to do what it automatically needs to do without our control or clenching or holding down, then we not only alleviate the body from from that hold, alleviate the emotion, but we're also able to, the body's able to open and it's able to access whether it's more freedom of um, sexual energy to flow through or or vibrancy to flow through in the nervous system, um, but also allows us to you know, reestablish that sense of agency in ourselves. Mm. You know, what do I need? What do I need right now? What do I need from my partner? Um, Am I afraid of something? Can I speak to that here? Is it safe for me to speak to that here? Mm -hmm. And again, if if we teach people that they are their own source of pleasure and their own source of turn on and give them the responsibility for that, responsibility for their orgasms, for for what turns them on and the communication of that to anybody else involved, then that really empowers us to know that we can create the context. We can create the the dynamic. We can ask for what we want. Yeah, that feels so revelatory. 
Because I know for years I spent, like, I would like torture myself and I'd be in these situations and be like, why can't they just figure it out? Like, why don't they know that it's like one eighth of one inch to the left? Or like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want this person to be psychic, but I myself was muffling myself. Like I wasn't brave enough to speak what I wanted because I don't even know that I knew how to articulate it to myself. Mm-hmm. And I see this now that I'm starting to, you know, get into this work and work with really beginner people. I'm noticing that one of the things that comes up the most is like, I don't know how to ask for what I want. I don't know how to say what I want. I don't know how to communicate it. And also I personally don't know what I want. Yeah. 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 And especially in this culture. So I grew up in the Midwest and it's a very common practice to, you know, somebody asks you, what restaurant do you want to go to? And we say, I don't care. I'm easy. You know, and that is a stifling. That's not actually authentic. We, it's a social condition to preserve relationships I'll to adapt. Be easy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll yeah. adapt beyond my own preferences yeah. to what? Like, what are we doing? What are we trying to gain with that? We're trying to be as little of an inconvenience or um, trying to reduce the likelihood of rocking any sort of boat or creating conflict. Mm-hmm. Conflict meaning you have a different desire than I do. Mm. Therefore, they can't coexist at the same time. Yeah. I see that a lot. And especially in... Uh, individuals who are women identifying because there's a cultural or it has been now it's changing, but there's been a cultural, uh, expectation for us to put up with discomfort, to not speak up, to not vocalize what we need. And so it's caused a lot of us to, when we, when we desire, or when we have a, a want, um, we can either become fuzzy as, as a defense mechanism, okay, I'm, I'm not going to know what I want. It's, it's sa- safer to be vague. It's safer to let the other person get what they want. Mm-hmm. Put other people before myself than it is to risk saying, I want this. Oh, you want something else that's different? Okay, is that, are you going to leave me? Am I going to lose your attention? Am I going to lose your affection? Or Am I going to lose my economic source, right. my, my protection? Like if we're living in an old patriarchal world, yeah. if I sit, if I share my preferences or desires, that I might not, I might not only lose my romantic partner, mm-hmm. but I might also lose my economic source and my protection. Yeah, or even from a friend group. You know, if mm-hmm. I express that I really want to go and hook up with this guy that I just met, and my friends are like. That's, that's really slutty of you. You know, there's this risk of, uh, or I would never do that. You know, there's, there's two different opinions. And what do we do in order pre- to preserve our belonging mm-hmm. to a group? Sometimes we, if we're not conscious of it, we'll default to their opinion. Yeah. And I and see you navigate that so beautifully just in, in our friendship and in our friend circles. I see you handle... I won't even call it conflict, but just like two different opinions or two different desires. Like you, mm-hmm. you negotiate this with such mastery and grace. Mm-hmm. And it always, I mean, so far I've witnessed it always creating more intimacy, which I think is such a superpower because I've spent most of my life trying to avoid conflict at all costs because it feels like death. And yeah, so to yeah. watch you do that with such ease and grace is so inspiring. Mm. So I'd like to just like pull the lens way back and imagine that, you know, someone listening has never never experienced something they would consider like spiritual sex or sacred sex. 
or and someone who's never done psychedelics before, that both things feel very foreign in and of themselves. Mm-hmm, Forget mm-hmm. about doing both of them together. Like, so I feel like we've, we've sort of addressed a bit of the, the sexuality piece and certainly what's blocking us from listening to our bodies and therefore understanding our desires. Why would someone want to do psychedelic assisted therapy and why would anyone even want to combine psychedelics and sex? Can you just start there? Yeah, this is such a big topic. Oh my God. Okay. So psychedelics, um, the word means mind manifesting. What? Yeah. So I love vocab with Dr. (laughs) Cat. Psychedelics means mind manifesting. Yes. Yes. How am I 43 years old? I've been teaching manifestation for seven years and I never (laughs) knew that. It it was coined years ago in in a letter between two um, uh, researchers and um, and philosopher, and uh, yeah, so it's it's mind manifesting, and really it just points to the concept around um, our physical and our mental uh, experiences being different than what our everyday normal uh, ordinary state of reality is. Can you say that again? I don't understand. Yeah. So psychedelics refer to a substance that you consume that creates an altered state of um, physical experience or mental experience that is different than our everyday reality. Okay. So like we've got this 3D reality, we're walking around in the quote unquote matrix, right? We got Kroger's, we got Publix, we got, you know, the highway, we got work, Uh got our kids. And then there's this thing I could take and then suddenly I'm experiencing something other than this 3D reality that I'm very used to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, typically we have the classical um, psychedelics of LSD, MDMA, uh, psilocybin, uh, which is the mushroom, um, DMT, ayahuasca, peyote, um, mescaline. And there's a cannabis. I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> there's so many. So many, so many, so many yeah. flavors. Yeah, and each and then one as of, of these, late, ketamine's really coming hot. And on ketamine, the scene. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and they're each every single one of these has a different texture. They have a different characteristic. They have they work on different uh, neurotransmitters of the of the brain, and um, that would facilitate a different altered state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So somebody would. Somebody would do ketamine-assisted therapy or psychedelic-assisted therapy in order for the mind to expand. In the in some of these, like MDMA and ketamine, at low doses, can be what we call an empathogen, which is a um, heart expansion. Mm. So mind expansion, heart expansion, and even nervous system expansion. Mm. So. If there is something that uh, perhaps there's a trauma in somebody's background that the brain so cleverly tucked away and and um, hid from the conscious awareness of the person in order to keep them from short-circuiting in their body, that can be opened so that somebody can take a look and have a visit mm. with it. Mm-hmm. So, so I had a trauma. It was too overwhelming. I did not have the tools to deal. It got compartmentalized or locked away in right. the psyche or the body. Mm-hmm. And then this empathogen, this heart opener, this love creates the safety and the expansion in the mind, in the heart, and even in the nervous system so that I can actually start to see that with detachment or love or get a window into how to unlock it. That's what an empathogen can do. Yeah. Okay. So like ketamine or MDMA are really great for, for that heart opening. So it is softer. So when we're working with trauma, sometimes the issue is we go into the trauma and it dysregulates the body. 
so in therapy, it can be really dysregulating and mm. we have a difficult time with being able to reprocess what happened to us. So yeah. MDMA is touted to be really powerful for working with PTSD. Um, a lot of funding happening now. Lots, with vets, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the U.S. military is actually using MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD for mm-hmm. veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be perhaps legalized in the next, like, 12 months, which yep. is really exciting. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so there's those, but then there's also things like uh, psilocybin or um, ayahuasca that help us to access those places. So if they, perhaps it is something that we haven't thought about, it can open that up. We can also, uh, many of these can help to turn down the brain of um, the self-criticizing part of our brain. Mm. So the default mode network part of our brain that causes us to ruminate or, or really is a, plays a big role in depression, causes us to spin and loop, can be turned down so that we can access some of these more expanded perspectives mm-hmm. of ourselves, of the world. Uh, some of these psychedelics can cause si- spiritual experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals will say that they see archetype, ar- archetypal figures um, that have meaning for them or to be able to have an experience of um, dissolving the boundaries between themselves and the world so they feel the sense of oneness. They feel the interrelationship between themselves and everything around them. Which is an interesting parallel to meditation, right? Because it's like... You know, I've been teaching meditation for a, a long time and, and that is definitely an impact. Like you're, you're transcending the left brain and going into the right. You're transcending that individuality and connecting to the totality. And if you do that every day, twice a day, you know, you have this visceral lived experience of being more than just the body. Yeah. And so, and bit by bit, day by day, you're like, oh, I'm not just the wave. I am also the ocean. And that becomes so yeah. substantiated that there's no arguing with that. Mm. And yet if someone's dealing with like acute depression or, or severe PTSD, they might not have five to seven years of twice a day meditation available to them if they are suicidal, if mm-hmm. they are a danger to their children, if they are a danger to themselves. And so sometimes it's like, we need to fast track that. And that's been my experience with psychedelic assisted therapy is that it's, it's, it, it can expedite this healing. And, and specifically from my experience with ketamine, it's like, it feels very big. Like I feel yeah. like, I, like you said, dissolve, like the lines of individuality dissolve. And I start uh-huh. to feel one with totality and in such a fast way that then when I come back into consciousness, into my left brain, it's like... I am no longer exclusively identified with whatever that traumatic story was or whatever mm-hmm. that pain mm-hmm. was. And so, I, and I think like anything, there's light and dark. You know, yeah, we could sure. use it to sure, sure, numb sure. or use it to not feel. Uh-huh. But set and setting, if we go into it with the intention, yeah. like my first time, it was a really low dose. It was sort of ceremonial group experience. And I had the intention, this was ketamine, and... Um, and I had the intention to like rewrite some dad code, mm, right? It was like, you know, wow. my dad was an amazing, brilliant man, but also, you know, an alcoholic and had some anger issues. Yeah. And and I was in the middle of the divorce and it felt like, well, if I could change this code in my nervous system, it might change the course of the divorce. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, you know, this is yeah. my lesson. I'm reliving this stuff in a very cliche fashion. So we did the thing. It was very low dose, like 20 milligrams. And then the whole time, I'm like, I don't think anything is happening. Nothing's happening. When is it going to start? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just sort of like in my head. It was enjoyable, but like I didn't, I was expecting, I don't uh-huh. know, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something real different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was so mild. But then afterwards, 
after we're done, we're integrating, we're journaling, we're talking. And then these two beautiful men were holding space for me and I start sobbing, crying and like heaving. And and just this huge catharsis came out. And then the next day, my husband at the time like came to me and basically proposed the thing that I had wanted in our negotiations. Like Mm. he brought it to me as as his desire. Mm -hmm. And so quite organically, we came to this shared desire in our separation agreement, Mm. which felt like, magic at the time, but it it actually was like, if I play the tape back, it's like, no, I do think that that expansiveness allowed me to rewrite that story. I I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ketamine is really powerful because it's also an analgesic and it's a dissociator. Mm -hmm. So dissociator at high doses, you can enter into other worlds, you can, um, leave your body, you're, and, and that lower doses, you can still very much be with your body, be with your sensations, your pleasure, your emotions, uh, but it almost like is a dissociator from your dissociator. And what I mean by that is that it alleviates you from the pain, whether it's pain of depression or pain, chronic pain in your body, so that you can more easily be with it. Mm. Like if we have such intensity in our body, like we don't have the threshold of tolerance to sit in that. Right. And so we get a bit of relief from it. It actually lets us to drop into the full experience so that we can feel it and transmute it. Yes. Yes. Whoa, that's mega. Dissociate from the dissociator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Into it. It's very meta. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) This is big. I want to just pop in with a disclaimer that like, yes, this show is called Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? And I just want to state really clearly that like psychedelics are maybe not for everyone. Having, you know, transcendent dancing with God, sex. I would maybe make an argument that that is for everyone if mm-hmm. you're into sex. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> There's very few contraindications <laughs> there. Um, but just really saying that, you know, with all things, we want to check in with our body, make sure that things are consensual, consult our doctors, yes. make sure that we have safe boundaries. And you're so good at establishing this as a doctor. But you know, just because the show's called Why Isn't Everyone Doing This does not mean that we're advocating for these modalities, mm-hmm. but just sharing what is possible in the realm of healing. Yes. What's your favorite medicine to work with? I know right now ketamine is is legal. You're a combo facilitator. Yes, which I'm a combo facilitator, which is not psychedelic in okay. nature. Yeah. Okay. So that is from the Amazonian frog. Um, it is more of a physiological response. And what you do is you uh, have the medicine placed on these little burn marks on your body. And then it enters into just the first layer of your epidermis and it, it um, activates your lymph system. So it helps release a lot of peptides into the body. Peptides we know help the body to be able to heal itself. Mm. And there's hundreds of peptides that research is still discovering. And and so it really just helps the body to flush out the inflammation and get the nervous system in a regulated state and uh, help so that the body can heal itself. Mm, Cool. So we've seen a lot of... um, you know, chronic pain, chronic illnesses, um, autoimmune. Oh. But the the interesting thing well, about you've this seen too, what happened with chronic pain and autoimmune. You've so seen the it body be starts to heal itself. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing again is that 
uh, your physical body is connected with your emotional body is connected with your spiritual energetic body. So if you if this is working on your nervous system level and your on your limbs level, we also want to look at what are the patterns that you're holding that is causing all that inflammation or that is causing the chronic illness. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate is an amazing researcher and doctor around um, connecting the somatic experience with chronic illness. Mm. And so if we're taking, you know, if we're taking any of these psychedelics or combo and we're not addressing the root, we're not integrating then what we're learning from these experiences, then it's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, it's, it, then we're just like chasing another experience. We're chasing another experience. Yeah. Mm. And, and that isn't to say that that isn't, doesn't have its own, you know, fun, joy, uh, fun, joy, and, and help, you know, for ourselves, but we're, we're almost just skimming the surface of what's possible for it. Mm-hmm. So combo even, you know, it resets your nervous system. You feel clear, you feel open. It's a great t- detoxer. And then from that clear state, you get to start looking at, well, what are some of my patterns? Is there a, pa- is there fear that I'm, uh, that I'm, struggling with that's causing the inflammation or or is causing a frozenness in my nervous system? Um, Is there a lot of anger that I'm not processing? Is there, um, am I inhibiting my personal expression? Mm. Am I finding competitiveness with myself and another person? Am I dismissing my own reality in order to preserve relationships? Mm. Am I, so it, can really help us to almost like a hard reset of the nervous system so that we can work at, through that. And how do you recommend people integrate? Because that's a word that is coming up. Like as yeah. psychedelic assisted therapy is getting more popular, this term integration is coming up a lot. And I've been preaching this for a long time. Like as ketamine assisted clinics are coming online, like I'm like calling up all the CEOs and being like, hi, like do you have meditation protocols on the front and back yeah. end of this yeah, stuff? Yeah. Because I really think that if if you've never altered your consciousness with meditation or breath work or cold plunges, and then you go from zero to only having access to this 3D reality and then blasting yourself open to God mm-hmm. with 800 milligrams of ketamine, that is like not many people have the resilience to handle that. Yeah, and, especially and, 800 milligrams. Yeah, like, you know, it's just <laughs> like, like a lot. Or like whatever, yeah, whatever yeah, the yeah, dosage. Yeah. So just go from like zero to God is yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah And yeah. so um, I think it's really important that people start to, because ex- meditation is, a, it is certainly like the most like simple, ancient, and sustainable uh, consciousness shifter, right? Like we're doing it all the time. And I think it can create such a beautiful foundation to do this work and then also be a really powerful integration tool Mm -hmm. on the other side. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious for you, like how do you have your clients integrate and what are you, I mean, are you doing ketamine-assisted therapy most often these days? Uh Uh-huh. So I'd love to hear about that. But first, let's talk integration. How do you have people integrate after that? So it's really important to pair, to think about this whole thing as a journey. Um, The prep is really, really important. Mm -hmm. So the prep is going to set up the experience, and it's just as important as the integration. So prepping is whether doing your research, um, you know, helping somebody in this situation, I'm talking about a client, helping a client to be able to identify what their symptoms are mm-hmm. in their everyday reality. What, you know, why are they coming to see me? So setting them up with that, even setting them up with some different ways of thinking or engaging with their inner landscape of themselves. Meaning, um, if I have a sensation, can I, I can follow that. If I have a thought, you know, I can follow that or I can change that or, um, 
teaching them to externalize some of these emotional processes into a figure that they can have a dialogue with. Mm -hmm. So all of that is in the prep and then helping them to identify an intention. Why am I coming to do this work? And an intention helps us to be able to um, narrow our focus and give us a direction to work towards. So when we're in psychedelics, the mind just opens and there's so many things that can happen. So many noises, past experiences. It's like this podcast. Like we go down a (laughs) hundred different avenues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going ketamine. We're going combo. We're going psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because we have an intention. Okay. And it, it, it brings us back. And it gives us a direction to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to work on my issues around sex. Okay, let me, let me ask that question again. Okay, what do I feel in my body when that, when that comes up or what's inspired when, that, when I come back to that question? And then you go through the experience. And then on the other side of the experience, once you close that, because it's a big open container of all kinds of things, you want to create um, a sense of closure there. Integration is the process that you do of meaning making. So going mm. it back into the experience and uh, making sense of what you exp- what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, mm-hmm. and and then taking these abstract re- uh, concepts and using some action, some practice, some some um, movement or tool in this concrete reality, so that it becomes a part of your everyday life. Right. That it's not, I had this wild separate experience and then I go right back into my day-to-day life. I'm just working kids and traffic. Right. That somehow we take these abstract things, visions, ideas, we make meaning of them. Uh And then how do we take that meaning and pull it into our everyday life? Yeah. So it could be a lot of different things. Um, Meditation could be one. Mm -hmm. That's a tool for somebody who perhaps feels overwhelmed in life. Um, to be able to sit with themselves and create their sense of stillness and silence. Um, yoga is another tool that's really a, a great one to um, regulate the nervous system, to expand your capacity to hold stress in your life, to open the body, mm. and to create devotion and de- more discipline in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be, I've had. Journaling, journaling Mm -hmm. as well. Or um, if somebody had something around pleasure, you know, then they might devote themselves to a pleasure practice Mm. um, to be able to just learn about themselves and feel and be with an affection for themselves. And can you like what is back to vocab with Dr. Cat? Yeah, yeah. What does pleasure practice mean? Yeah. So a pleasure practice. I mean, it's really vast. We in our culture, there's a lot of disconnection to the concept of pleasure. We make decisions based on what's logical or what we're supposed to do, obligation. Or what's productive. Uh, What's productive, yeah, yeah. But pleasure is more on the lower end of our priority list. Certainly has been for me until very recently. (laughs) Yeah. So if we first start by making decisions based on what feels good, and that question it usually gets people uh, really confused. Or I'm like, okay, let's just start with identifying what feels good in your body. And then we're going to start making decisions based from that place. Um, It might feel frivolous, but let's just see and experiment with what what happens there. So it's like, 
picking out your tea, you know, just, or picking out your mug, not just because it's practical, the biggest mug, but because it's really pretty, Mm. you know, or wearing clothes, not because it's practical, because you feel really good in it. And so can you help us distinguish between, okay, it would feel really good to eat this sleeve of Oreos. It would feel really good to drink this fifth of Jack Daniels. It would Mm -hmm. feel really good to watch three more episodes of this show. Mm -hmm. Like how do you delineate between like that sort of like numbing, addictive, consuming, feeling good versus like, oh, this is pleasurable in my body or it delights me. Mm -hmm. Or like, how do we differentiate those two things? Yeah. uh, Well, first of all, it doesn't necessarily mean differentiate between the two of those, but, Mm -hmm. um, When I apply this to the nervous system, I -hmm. use a tool called Glimmers and Glows. Ooh, Ooh, Glimmers and Glows with Dr. (laughs) Cat. I like it. Okay, what's that mean? So a glimmer is something that we experience in our environment or um, maybe our conscious awareness uh, connects with, and we feel a flutter or expansion or um, a relaxed relief feeling, a sensation in the body. Okay. And if we stay on that, so that's the response of the nervous system again with neuroception, it's picking up that cue. And um, what does it feel like again? It, it can be like a flutter. It can be an expansion. And that's glimmering? An elevation. Uh-huh. Okay. And if you stay on it and you savor it or you just hold your attention to it, it can turn into a glow. And a glow is an excellent tool for expanding your nervous system's capacity to hold pleasure in your body. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that? Or like a yes. time that you do that in Absolutely. your day-to-day life? Okay. Absolutely. So I leave my windows open in my office and I have these birds that sit outside in the tree that's just outside and they, um, and they tweet and they sing. And every time I catch that, I... I I feel that glimmer in my body. And sometimes I'll stop whatever I'm doing and I just sit there and I allow them to allow my body to be affected by this. Mm. And it feels really good. Mm. Or if I'm sipping tea or a latte and I'm just really enjoying that experience, it becomes a glow. Yeah. So the more that we can create a life that incorporates these glows, Mm -hmm. these pleasures, we expand our capacity, we end up um, sensationalizing our body. Mm -hmm. So we're turning back on the body and the body's connection with sensuality. Um, Sensuality being the uh, experience of pleasure of the world through our five senses. Mm, sensuality, the experience of pleasure of the world through our five senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's one element of, of a pleasure practice. Mm. But then another pleasure practice can be um, uh, centralizing your body. So whether it's touching your body for affection, you know, you're putting on lotion after you get out of a shower and you're just really present with the how it feels. Or it can be um, touching and exploring your body for what feels good and discovering what what that is, uh, so that you know in your own self, both w- almost like mapping your body for what feels good, but you're also connecting your body with mm. you, connecting yourself with your body. By putting your attention on your physical body, yeah. like closing that feedback yeah. loop and also being curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So masturbation is a form of that, mm-hmm. but it can also just be touching and feeling your entire body. Yeah. And that can be it in and of itself. Like Dancing. especially like if you're coming from like a genital f- or orgasm focused sex yeah. life to mm-hmm. even take the audacity to take time. Mm-hmm. To like what do my kneecaps enjoy? You know, yeah. it feels sort of like yeah. radical yeah. and exciting. Or 
yeah. individuals who have breasts. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of cultural conditioning around our breasts and shame around our breasts. So I'll um, give practices to individuals um, who own breasts on how to massage and how to touch and how to bring sensation back here. Mm. Uh, if you haven't been connecting with your breasts or with your genitals or with your body in general, there's a disconnect between the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. And so um, touching, exploring with conscious awareness or or mindfulness or meditation um, will help to create this mapping between your brain and and that body. Mm. So you actually can become more sensitive just by that conscious awareness connection that you're having. Whoa. Okay, so there's so much here, but as we start to bring it home, as we start to <laughs> come to a close, like it seems like there's so much healing potential here. There's so much potential for pleasure. There's so much potential for trauma resolution, mm-hmm. deeper intimacy with yourself, deeper intimate, intimacy with someone else. Like I'm hearing so much magic inside of all of this. Mm-hmm. So, so why isn't everyone doing this? Why isn't everyone doing pleasure practices? Why isn't everyone doing psychedelic assisted therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's also a lot of uh, safety precautions around psychedelics, first of all. Psychedelics are not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, psychedelics also um, bring up a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of unprocessed stuff that we don't want to look at, that's really painful to look at. And so it's it's courageous to do that inner work with yourself. And psychedelics, again, if you don't have the foundation for how to be able to be with yourself or self-regulate, or you don't have the resources of community outside of yourself, it can be really challenging to go through this experience. And then on the other side, what do I do with that? And who am I? My identity's shifted and yeah. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. So there's those aspects. Um, uh, There's also... You know, there's a lot of talk about psychedelics that are out there, but there's also, because it's not regulated, there are facilitators that are out there, are people who are claiming to be facilitators that aren't trained in trauma, that aren't trained in, um, you know, processing, who, um, or perhaps have gotten a big ego from doing this work and seeing people heal in front of them. So there's also a lot of abuse in the culture as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a level of... Um, uh, I, I think that there needs to be reverence around the around psychedelics, psychedelics as a tool, and reverence around our own vetting process, and reverence around our own self and the process that we take ourselves through, and what we how we then hold ourselves thereafter. Um, so, how would you suggest if someone was like, "Oh, this sounds really exciting," or something I want to explore? Like, how would you suggest if it did feel like? a draw, a glimmer, a glow, they were curious, how would you recommend someone go about like finding a trained facilitator, a trauma-informed facilitator, and how would they vet that person? Yeah, so I created an, uh, a guide, a free guide, and I'm happy to give you the link to it, mm-hmm. but it helps people go through the process of asking the questions. Cool, yeah, asking, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. Yes, and so what this is for facilitators of psychedelics or sex, because just uh-huh. as much in, in, in sex, there's facilitators that, um, you know, we hear of stories of abuse that happen there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Anybody who's going to psychedelics or for sexual healing, the, there's more of a likely, there's power dynamics. There is a vulnerability of the population that's seeking it. And you are um, allowing somebody to... It, 
if somebody has gone through trauma, they may not have the skills to be able to discern as well, yeah. or they might have poor boundaries. So they're looking to somebody else to hold this container and hold those boundaries for them. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have that and already uh, cultivated in themselves, then there's more of a likelihood for abuse. For, yeah, abuse for someone taking power. advantage of yeah. that or yeah. like yeah. feeling like, oh, I am this demigod because I have seen these healings happen yeah. around yeah. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I've created that guide, cool. but also there's... Um, you know, MAPS is a great organization. Mm-hmm. There's some databases. I think Third Wave is another great database for that. To find um, facilitators of uh-huh. psychedelics? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and then I'd love to just touch on, like, thank you for just saying this so explicitly and beautifully and with such compassion about, like, the, these are powerful, powerful medicines. They are not mm-hmm. to be taken lightly. They are not for everyone. And so, like, the reverence, I think reverence is the is a beautiful word, mm-hmm. the respect yeah. for the power of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd also love to just speak to, before we close, like, some of the, like, why isn't everyone like exploring their own pleasure practice or self-pleasuring, like, some of the conditioning and shame around that, like, what would you say are the the main culprits of keeping people from exploring their own pleasure? Yeah, I, I mean, it comes back to what we've been conditioned to think of what sex is. Um, and it also requires us to feel in the body. It requires us to uh, be vulnerable and to open to our own selves and then to other people, whoever else is involved in that experience. Um, orgasm is a release. You know, some of us are afraid of surrendering. What Mm. happens if I let go? Mm. Am I going to be overwhelmed? Am I going to lose myself? Am I going to look weird? You know? And so there's a lot of contraction in the body Mm -hmm. that if is uncomfortable to let go, it's uncomfortable, but it's also really incredible and, and, and expansive at the same time. So we have to, anytime we're going on a journey of self, uh, self expansion, we're going to hit discomfort and we're going to hit the discomfort of the edge of what we've known ourselves to be. Mm. And so are we ready to, to go into oblivion (laughs) or are we, you know, it's, there's a level of chaos that happens before we can reorganize ourselves into a new, um, expression of ourselves. So that can be really, really scary for those of us who've been holding tight. Or, or had trauma or not ever seen it modeled. Yeah. That like the discomfort yeah. can be the way, that the pain can be the portal yeah. to yes. the liberation. Yeah. So on that note, I'd love to ask everybody if you could install one code into the species, right? Let's say like the brain is running its own human code and you could rewrite one piece of it or install one code into the species, what would it be? Mm. I want to come back to what I said about self-sourcing eroticism. And eroticism is... Um, you know, the infusion of creativity and imagination and embodiment and, and um, uh, emotional intelligence with, our, uh, with the world around us. So we can, everything can be a turn on for us. Mm. We can turn our own selves on with, to- with tools of just our breath and our sound and our movement. We don't have to wait for a super hot guy or the bad boy to to be the one that activates this flutters in us. We can actually do that for ourselves. I believe that chemistry can be cultivated. People expect it to be easy or it has to come naturally, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something you cultivate if you are willing to do that work and that play work (laughs) to to, um, activate it in your body and to feel. It's like the yeah. ability to turn yourself on. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I love that. Like a whole species of humans on planet Earth with the ability to turn themselves on, to charge mm-hmm. themselves up with the power of eroticism. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Dr. Katmeyer, I love you so much. Thank you for your lifetime of work, your dedication, the outrageous number of modalities that you've studied <laughs> to help really move people home to themselves, to help people heal so that they can live the most joyful, blissful lives possible. I've sent, I think I've sent probably like 50 clients to you in the past <laughs> month. I'm like, here, go see Dr. Cat, go see Dr. Cat. And truly like what's happening with everyone has been so beautiful. And we have to do a whole other episode on EMDR. Like there's so much more we could talk about. Yeah. Um, and I would love to, if you're willing to stick around, I'd love to do a little bit of training. Um, well, this will be, be a little teaser for later um, on if you're willing like to teach people how to turn themselves on. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> My mission in life. Yes, <laughs> great. So sweet friends, thank you so much for joining us on why isn't everyone doing this? Um, Dr. Kat, where can people find you? They can find me at sexloveyoga.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me on Instagram at the same handle. They can also check out my podcast, Sex Love Psychedelics. Cool. So yeah. Sex Love Yoga and Sex Love Psychedelics. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right, sweet friends. We love you. Thank you for joining us. If you are interested in more of this juicy content, you can go to zivameditation.com slash why this to get a masterclass from Dr. Ka- Dr. Kat on how to turn yourself on and also receive masterclasses from amazing friends and teachers like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin. So head to zivameditation.com slash why this. And if you haven't yet, please do follow. And why not even share an episode with a friend? There's so many people that are suffering unnecessarily. And when we have these amazing modalities available to us, why keep it to ourselves? So we love you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. 